Amen. Well, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. What we've been doing here since we've been a church in Chiang Mai is we've been going through the Gospels in chronological order. But we've been going through the Gospels in chronological order, and we found ourselves the past few weeks in the Gospel of John. And we've been in John chapter 8, and if you remember during this time, Jesus had been preaching in Judea. He had returned for the Feast of Tabernacles, and it was here that Jesus was preaching boldly and openly in the treasury of the temple. So the very public place where he was drawing a lot of attention. And we saw while Jesus was doing this, the religious leaders attempted to arrest him, attempted to lay hands on him, and attempted to frame him and falsely accuse him so that he might be delivered over to judgment. However, we've seen that Jesus, he's innocent, and his time had not yet come to be arrested. And so nothing had happened to Jesus. Jesus had recently forgiven and sent away the adulterous woman, if you remember in the start of John chapter 8. And as we studied last week in verses 12 through 36 of John 8, Jesus shared how he is the light of the world. And we looked at Jesus is the only way to salvation. There is no other way to God but through Jesus Christ. And this is what we looked at last week. And lastly, we looked at what it means to live in freedom. What does it mean to live in the freedom of Jesus Christ and the freedom that he brings? And so last week, a question was extended, and I'd like to just re-ask that question today. Have you been living in the freedom that Christ has won for you on the cross? Just looking back this past week. Well, today we're going to pick up where we left off, so turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 8, and we're going to start today in verse 37. So if you're following along, John chapter 8, verse 37. Jesus said, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. So remember, Jesus is addressing the people here. He's talking in the treasury area of the temple, and he's surrounded by a large crowd of people and the religious leaders. And the last thing that we saw Jesus say was, if you believe in me, if you are my disciples, you will be free indeed. You will truly be free. And a lot of the religious leaders didn't like how Jesus said this. And if you remember, they said, well, Jesus, we're descendants of Abraham. We've never been in bondage to anyone. And Jesus is continuing responding to the people after they said this. So in verse 37, he says, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you are seeking to kill me because my word has no place in your hearts. This is a very heavy statement made by Jesus, not the fact that he said they're trying to kill him. The heavy statement he made was how he said, my word has no place in your hearts. And because of the ungodliness and the evil that existed and the sin in these people's hearts, they didn't have the word of God. The the word of Jesus had no place in their hearts. And we see this many times today, that those who do not have the words of Jesus in their heart, they don't live according to the ways of God or according to the will of God. And many times as Christians, it's easy to look at all the ungodliness in this world and we wonder, how are people this evil? Why do people do these wicked things? We get so surprised by the darkness in the world. Well, the answer is simple. It's because the words of Jesus has no place in the hearts of the ungodly. And just as it was in Jesus' time, not much has changed. There are many people today who the word of God has no place in their hearts. Now, this phrase, to have no place, in the Greek language, it translates to mean that there is no room inside of something because it is occupied by something else. So what was it in the hearts of these people that was occupying their hearts instead of the word of Jesus? It was sin. Because sin was occupying their hearts, the word of Jesus would not occupy their hearts. Their hearts were too hardened. 
their sin occupied their hearts. And so as a church, we shouldn't expect the ungodly to live according to the ways of God. For the word of God has no place in their hearts. However, we as the church, we should be living according to the ways of God. Why? Because the word of God does abide in our hearts as the church. And something that's really tragic to see is many people in the church living as if the word of God had no place in their hearts at all. And so I have to ask this question. What has been occupying your heart lately? Has it been Jesus? Has it been the ways and the word of God? Have you been pouring these things into your heart? Or has something else been trying to creep into your heart and occupy the throne of your heart? What has been in your heart as you've gone out to minister and share about Jesus? Has love been in your heart or something else? What priority and importance does the word of God have in your heart? And the thing about sin is it's, it's, it's very cruel. As we studied last week, sin is a very cruel slave master, and it will always try to find a way to creep back in your hearts. And even though our hearts have been set free and redeemed by Jesus, sin still tries to creep in, doesn't it? I'm reading through Genesis right now, and something that God spoke to Cain, it really stood out to me in Genesis 4-7. And God said this to Cain. He said, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you. And other translations say sin is creeping at the door, and it's trying to overtake you. In our flesh, our sin, it's always trying to find that way back into our hearts to control our lives and to take our focus off of Jesus Christ. And so what have you been filling your hearts up with lately? And when sin tries to creep into our hearts, how do we fight this? How do we combat this? Well, the answer is quite simple. By being in the Word of God and being in the presence of Jesus. And it's truly amazing how when the Word of God enters our heart, it works out the things of our flesh. It works out the evil that our flesh wants to hold on to. Because the Word of God shines a light in the darkness of our hearts. Psalm 119 verse 11 says this, Your word I have hidden in my heart so that I don't sin against you. And so what has been occupying your heart? Just looking back this past week, have you been in the Word of God? Are you filling your heart up daily with the words of Jesus and being in his presence? Let's look at verse 38. I speak what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. So Jesus continues to talk and address these people, and Jesus, he once again shows us just an amazing example to follow. Jesus said, I speak the things that my father has told me. The things that I heard from him, that's what I'm declaring from you. Well, this is a great example for us, isn't it? To share the things that we see and the things that we hear from the Lord with others. It's very common today to see many Christians, they want to keep the gospel inside their hearts and they want to cover that light up and they don't want to share and they don't want to proclaim what Jesus has done for them. Jesus said, I'm going out and I'm speaking the things that my Father had told me. Jesus was always consistently ministering in obedience to what the Father spoke to him. And again, i got to ask the question, what about us? Are we sharing the things that we hear and see from the Lord through His Word and through our daily relationship with Him? And our relationship with Him has to be daily. The foundation of any ministry that we do for the Lord has to be built upon this, our relationship with Jesus. A relationship that we cultivate daily, that we are daily spending into the presence of God. Because we can't give what we don't have. Now, notice Jesus says something else in this verse. He says, I do the deeds of my Father, but you do the deeds of your Father. Who's their father? We're going to find out shortly. And some of you already know who Jesus is referring to, but we're going to get there soon. Let's look at verses 39 through 41. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. 
But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. So the people respond and they say, Well, Jesus, maybe you didn't hear us, did you? Abraham is our father. We're doing the deeds of our father Abraham. And they thought that this answer trumped all. They thought with this answer, that was the end of discussion. They had it all figured out with this answer. They thought by merely having Abraham as a forefather, this would ultimately justify them. And we might read this today and we're like, that's crazy. Why would they think that? But today, in the world that we live in, you see something very similar, don't you? And it's something we we constantly tell the youth as we minister to the youth. Your faith must be your own. But a lot of people today think that they're born into justification with God, that they're born into a right relationship with God. These people thought they were justified merely by the fact that they were descendants of Abraham. However, Jesus was addressing to them, no, it's not about who your forefather is. It's about your personal relationship with God. And for us, it's not a religion that we serve and follow. It's a relationship that we're called to be in with the Savior, Jesus. And for many people today, they say the same thing. Well, I was born into it. But Christianity is not passed in our DNA. It's a personal choice that we must make. And it's a, it's a commitment to truly serve Jesus. But what we see here is a common case we see today, and it was inconsistency in what people profess and what they, and what they live out. These people professed one thing, but they lived a life completely contrary to what they claimed, and Jesus is rebuking them and calling them out for it in verse 39. Jesus said, if you truly were Abraham's children, you would do what he did, but you don't. Your profession is inconsistent with your lifestyle. The way that you live is not matching up to what you are professing. And for us today, we're not called to be Christians in name only. We're called to be Christians in our lifestyle as well. Living out our faith, walking out the calling that Jesus has placed in our lives. And watch this, we're going to get a little deeper. We're not called to be missionaries in name only either. But we're called to go out and share Jesus. Being in a third world country doesn't classify us as a missionary. Anyone who's placed their faith and trust in Jesus is a missionary. What is a missionary called to do? Go out and share Jesus. And so we're not called to be Christians in in name only, but in our lives as well. Now, something else here that I see that's quite fascinating is Abraham, though he was a flawed man, and this is the glory of reading God's word. You read the Old Testament, these guys were a mess. Read about Abraham, he messed up, he was a flawed man. Read about Lot, that one will throw you a curveball. Read about Lot, and God called Lot righteous. Right? Because God took flawed men and he justified them by his grace. But you look at these people, and the fact is, Abraham was a man who was worth imitating. These people weren't, but he was a man who was worth imitating. And ultimately, I know our example is Jesus. We're not called to follow a man. We're called to follow Jesus. But i got to ask the question, is, is our lives, are they worth imitating? If someone looks at our lives and the way that we live, could we say, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he said, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Could that be said about your life? Could that be said about my life? And again, the question comes back to this. Does our life match up to what we claim that we believe? Is Jesus the Lord of our life? Because if he's the Lord of our life, we're going to live committed to him as the Lord of our lives. Now, something interesting, the people's response to Jesus in verse 41, they say, we we were not born of fornication. Where did this come from? Where did Jesus mention anything about this? Why, why are the people saying we were not born of fornication? Well, I was reading this and I thought maybe they were trying to 
be derogatory towards Jesus. And I read what other people think, and a lot of people agree, where a lot of people believe the religious leaders knew that, you know, Jesus was ultimately conceived by the Holy Spirit, but Mary was pregnant with Jesus before her marriage with Joseph. And the people may have thought something was up with that. And they may have been derogatory towards Jesus in this statement. We're not told specifically, but it wouldn't be surprising, and it really shows the darkness of the religious leaders' hearts. And it really shows that the point is they they would find any and every reason they could not to believe and surrender to Jesus Christ. And sin in our heart, it does this. It causes you to become irrational. It causes you to become hard to the truth. So let's see Jesus' response in verses 42 through 43. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. So Jesus, he tells the religious leaders something that we studied last week quite in depth. And Jesus, he said, you do not know the Father. This is so key, again, as we shared last week, because many people claim to know and believe God, but here's the thing. If they have not placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then they don't actually have a relationship with God. Because the way to God is through Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, you don't know the Father because you don't love me. Now, I see a few things to unpack here. Number one, Jesus tells these leaders that God is not their father because they do not believe in him. Now, I bring this up because many people say today, we're all children of God. That's not true. We're all made in the image of God, but those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus, they have been given the right to become children of God. And the fact that Jesus says, God is not your father because you do not believe in me, because you do not love me, it shows us the way to become a child of God is through faith in Jesus. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we might become children of God. Number two, Jesus tells these people that if they are children of God, they would love him. That's pretty key. Jesus doesn't just say, follow me. He doesn't just say, listen to me, love me. There's a difference. I was having a discussion with a non-believer this week, and they said, in your religion, and I said, brother, it's not a religion. Because we're not just called to follow and listen, we're called to love. We're called to love our God. And what does it mean to love Jesus? Well, Jesus gives us the answer in John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so for those who are a child of God... It's a relationship that we're in. And we are to love Jesus, to do what he commands us. Lastly, here, what Jesus says here. He says, you cannot understand my speech because you are not able to listen to my word. One cannot understand the ways of God without listening to the word of God. But that's very key because many people want to go out and reach a lost word without sharing the gospel and without bringing the word of God out. But Jesus said, you cannot understand my ways because you do not listen to my words. And so for us as Christians, again, the emphasis must be on the word of God. And as we're going out, this is what we need to be sharing. Because my words aren't going to change a heart. God's word is going to change a heart. Even if people reject God's word, it never returns to him void. Well, let's continue and let's see what happens next in verses 44 through 45. And here it is. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Jesus was not beating around the bush when he was addressing these religious leaders, was he? He said, you are of your father, the devil. That's tough. (laughs) That's tough that Jesus shares. He, He is not beating around the bush with these religious leaders. He's speaking very blatantly, very boldly, and very openly to them. And it's very fascinating that Jesus would say this because these men, they followed and committed their their lives to serving the law and claiming to really, truly know God more than anyone else. And yet Jesus is here telling them, you're of your father, the devil. Why? Because once again, their life did not match up with what they claimed to believe. And Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father, the devil, you want to do. What is the devil's desires? What are our adversaries' desire? Well, Jesus tells us in John 10.10, he said, the thief or the devil, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And here we see the religious leaders wanting to kill Jesus, destroy the message of Jesus, and continue to have people live in deceit. And Jesus continues to tell us more about our adversary, the devil. He tells us that he's been a murderer from the beginning. Satan has no greater intention than to kill and to destroy any and everyone that he can. And this is why it's no mere coincidence we see all the ways Satan is attacking in this world and all of the false religions and all of the false beliefs that he's blinding people and all of his lies because he wants all to perish with him. And Jesus continues by saying that the devil was a murderer from the beginning. If you remember back in the start of, of time, the first man, it was Satan tempting man to sin. And when man gave in to that temptation, death spread through sin. And Jesus continues and he says, the, the devil is a liar and the father of lies. And Satan's lies today, they continue to prevail, don't they? These lies that you don't need to truly surrender to Jesus. These lies that, that Jesus is not truly who he said he was. These lies that God's word is not truly enough. These lies that you can live partially for Jesus and partially for this world. I talked to many people this week, and all of them said the same thing to me. They said, well, I believe Jesus, but I also believe this and this. I believe in Jesus. Yeah, he taught some good things. Well, the Bible doesn't say that Jesus was just merely a good man or a good teacher. It says he's Lord. It says he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And it also says without Jesus, one cannot be made right with God. And so Satan is very active in spreading his lies. And I was thinking about this this morning as I was looking over this, and I thought, Satan is so busy at work blinding people to the truth through false teaching, through false religions. He's blinding people with all of these lies. And it doesn't take much. Look outside of this church and see there are so many lost people. Who is it that you go by each and every day who's never heard of Jesus? There's 1% Christian in this nation. That's a lot of people under the deception of the enemy. And if we're not challenged by this, that as the enemy is working so hard to blind people to the truth, are we not burdened to go out and share the truth? Because here's the amazing thing. Despite Satan being a great adversary, he's not greater than the word of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And so when we go out and bring the gospel of Jesus in the name of Jesus, Satan, it overwhelms him. But are we going out and sharing Jesus? Are we going out with a passion to see people come to the knowledge of salvation in Jesus Christ? 
Who is it that you pass by every day who's never heard of Jesus, who no one will stop and tell them about Jesus? There's many people in our lives. Who is it in your family who needs to hear about Jesus? Is your heart not break and burden to share the truth with them? Because Satan is blinding so many hearts and so many eyes out here. And here's the thing. Many are searching for the truth. We know what the truth is. Are we going to go out and share it? Are we being bold witnesses? I can't help but think of Paul. Paul was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was beat. He was thrown out of cities. He was imprisoned. He was malnourished. He was rejected, forsaken, betrayed. Why? Did this just happen? Was Paul that bad of a guy that all these things just happened? No. These things happened. Why? Because he was sharing the gospel. That was the cost, but you know, he was willing to pay it. Even when he was in prison, he said, great, I'm in prison. I'm going to share with the prison guards. I'm going to share with Caesar's household. I'm going to share with whoever God places in front of me. This is the kind of heart we're called to have. But today we've kind of looked down on this and we say, well, you know what? I need to play it safe. I need to play it safe. I, I need to share Jesus only when I, it's not going to affect me in any way, shape, or form. I can't go to the hard places. I can't talk to the people who who I'll get in trouble sharing Jesus with, that's not the heart that we're called to have. Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to who? Everyone. Why are Christians so persecuted? It's because they're sharing the word of God. Satan doesn't want the word to go forth. There's a reason for it. Do we have the same heart that says, Jesus, I'm going to share, I'm going to do whatever you want, I'm going to trust your will, I'm going to trust your plan. And I'm convicted by this, looking at Paul, looking at the early church and how they were so active to go out and share the gospel. But if our enemy, our adversary, the devil, is so busy keeping people blinded to the truth, should we not be out there sharing truth? It's a challenge. Are we afraid to share the truth? Many times we see that people, they don't want to hear the truth, but it's the truth that's going to set them free. Many people reject Jesus, but Jesus is the one who's going to change and save their hearts. Let's continue verses 46 through 47. Which of you convicts me of sin, and if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. So these religious leaders, they have been relentlessly accusing Jesus of any offense that they could possibly try to come up with. And Jesus, he finally says to them, who has an offense to bring? Who convicts me of sin? And Jesus is saying, who's a liable witness who can come up and actually lay out something that I have done? No one could. Why? Because Jesus was sinless. He was perfect and without reproach or blame. And this is key. Because if Jesus wasn't the sinless Savior without reproach and without blame, He could never pay and atone for our sins. But Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. And no one could bring an accusation against Him. And once again, as I'm reading this, the Holy Spirit convicted my heart. And and the Spirit just put on my heart, okay, well, how many people would have an offense to bring against me? And, And if I were to ask you all, you know, have I offended any? I'm, there'd be probably a line. There'd probably be a line after service waiting to talk to me. Well, yeah, because we're imperfect people and we make mistakes and many times we don't live like we're called to live, but Jesus was perfect. And though we're imperfect people, we're going to continue to sin. We should be striving to live like Jesus and being that example to others in this world. Can people around us see Jesus in our hearts or do they see something else? Now, in verse 47... Jesus, he gives a clear distinction between those who are of God and those who are not of God. Ones who are of God, they do not, they hear his, they hear God's words. One who is not of God does not hear God's words. He says, he was of God, he hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. 
The word hearers here in the Greek language is a pretty amazing word, and it means to be given the ability to understand, and it means that you attend to and you carefully consider what was spoken and you apply it to your life. So it's not just listening, but it's taking the words of Jesus, carefully considering them in our hearts, attending to them, understanding who God is, and applying this to our lives and living it out daily. To hear the word of God in this context that Jesus uses is to not just listen, but to apply. Does this describe you and your relationship with the word of God? James chapter 1 verse 22 says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Those who are truly of God and living of God are going to do what the word of God commands us to do. That's a challenge for us as a church. We're living witnesses of Jesus Christ. Are we living like him? Let's look at verses 48 through 51. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. So here we go again. The people respond. What do they say about Jesus this time? They say, you're demon-possessed. That's That's tough. And the creator of the universe, the one who very formed them, the one who created them, the, the long-awaited Messiah that they had been longing for, is right in front of them, and they say he's demon-possessed. That's tough. And they also say you're a Samaritan. Now, you might, you might be like, well, what does that mean? Well, the, the Jewish people in Jerusalem, they hated Samaritans because they believed Samaritans were not pure Jews because they were half-Jews. And the people in Samaria, they held to a sect of Judaism that they believed was the true form, and they believed those who worshipped in Jerusalem were not following the right form of Judaism. And so there was a tension between them, and the Jews in Jerusalem hated them. And just like you would see with tax collectors, right? Tax collectors were viewed to be so evil and so wicked that people would say, you're just like the sinners and the tax collectors. They're so wicked they can't even be in the category of sinners. And here, the religious leaders think by calling Jesus a Samaritan, it's the equivalent of calling him demon-possessed. That's how much they hated these people. These people who were supposed to be leading others in the ways of God had such a deep hatred in their heart toward people. Do you see? Those are contrary to each other. Because if we're truly living of God, we're not going to hate people. We're going to love people because that's what Jesus commanded us to do. And if we need a reminder, I encourage you, look in the mirror because God loves us. And while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And I struggle because many times in ministry, I'm like, Lord, I can't deal with these people. And you know what the Lord always says? Look in the mirror. Look how much I have forgiven you. Look at all the grace I've poured out over you. Now, look at what others have done for you and how much grace they've poured into you. We need to love. And it's a good indicator for these people how dark in their hearts were by saying this. But Jesus, of course, refutes this. He, he says he's not demon-possessed, in case any of us were wondering. Right? And he says that he seeks the glory of the Father. Now, in verse 51, Jesus says that those who keep his words will not taste death. What does he mean here? Because there have been many people who have believed in Jesus who have died. Well, Jesus is referring to eternal death. And those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will escape eternal death and hell, separated from the presence of God forever. Instead, we'll be in eternity with Jesus in the presence of God. And so maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian and you're wondering how... Do I escape death? How do I escape judgment? How do I escape hell? By surrendering to Jesus, by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He is the only way to God, and if you place your faith and trust in Jesus, you will have eternal life. 
Now, in Jesus saying that those who keep his words will not taste death, there's a very significant implication here. You and I couldn't tell someone that if you do what I say, you're going to have eternal life. We're not not in that position to say that. So what Jesus was implying here by saying this is very key. By Jesus saying, if you believe in me and you do my words, you will not taste death. Jesus must be God. And he is stating his deity and saying what he said here in verse 51. This is very key because many people try to come against the deity of Jesus Christ. And we must be ready to defend the deity of Jesus and point people to Scripture. Jesus is indeed God. And if it's through his words one can have eternal life, he has to be God. But let's continue because it gets better. Verses 52 through 55. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead in the prophets, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. So once again, the people misunderstand what Jesus was saying. And it's kind of ironic because Jesus just rebuked them and said, you don't understand what I'm saying. And here we see the people misunderstanding what Jesus said. But the people were always taking what Jesus spoke and they took it quite literally. Like when Jesus said, you got to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, the people thought he was being literal. And when Jesus said, you'll never taste death, people are believing that this was a physical death and not the spiritual one because they were only focused on the physical, not on the spiritual. And verse 55 again here is key in that Jesus, once again, and we've said this many times now, but Jesus says that the God these people claim to follow, they do not know why, because they do not know Jesus. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you may say, well, I believe in God, so surely I'll go to heaven, right? Well, you need to surrender to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the bridge to God. Our sin has separated us from God, and Jesus is the bridge. And it's only through Jesus that we can make it to God in the right relationship with Him. And for us as Christians, we shouldn't be toning down the name of Jesus, but proclaiming it loudly, because it's only by His name that one's going to have life. Let's look at our last few verses, 56 through 59. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. These are amazing verses. So, I love how Jesus starts this. He says, Your father Abraham, he rejoiced to see my day. He saw it, and he was glad. And the people obviously have a problem with this. They're like, Jesus, you're not even 50 Historically speaking, Jesus was in his 30s here. Historically speaking, we believe Jesus was 33 when he died, so he was quite young. And they said, how could you have seen Abraham? Abraham came thousands of years before you, Jesus. But they couldn't comprehend or understand this because they didn't comprehend or understand who Jesus was. And Jesus said, Abraham, he rejoiced to see my day, and he did see it. He was glad. And you might be thinking, well, how did this happen? When did this happen? When did Abraham see the day of Jesus? Well, there's many things here. For one, we know that when Abraham was called to offer his son Isaac, this is a type of what Jesus would do for us. Jesus would willingly go to that altar. And a lot of you think that Isaac was this little boy 
when Abraham put him on, and Abraham threw him on the altar, that wasn't the case. It, Isaac was a, more than likely close to an adult. He could have easily put that old man down. He willingly went on that altar. And it was a type of how Jesus would willingly sacrifice himself for the forgiveness of our sins. Many, many times this happened in the Old Testament. Abraham also knew that it was through his bloodline that the Savior would come. He was promised this. However, we also know that Abraham did have an encounter with Jesus in the Old Testament because Jesus existed long before Bethlehem. And Jesus appeared many times in the Old Testament. And people call these a Christophany today when Christ had an appearance in the Old Testament before Bethlehem. And if you remember, Abraham did have an encounter with Jesus. He spoke with him. He was talking to him about Sodom if you remember. And every time Abraham would speak, he said, I can't even believe I'm talking to God right now and I'm trying to intercede for these people. This is Jesus. So Abraham did see Jesus. It's pretty amazing. And here Jesus is. And this really shows us the eternality of Jesus that He was, He is, and He will always be. He has no beginning and end. He was present at creation. He created all things. And He will reign forevermore. But this also shows us that in Jesus attributing Himself This title in verse 58, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. This is a very massive implication given by Jesus. The name I am was first used in Exodus. If you remember in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 14, when Moses was at the burning bush and God told Moses, go back to Egypt and go set my people free. I'm going to use you to set my people free. And Moses said, well, God, if I go, who, who's, who am I going to tell him sent me? I'm going to say, God sent me. They're going to be like, what God? And he said, who, who do I say your name is? And God said, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. And so by Jesus using this name before Abraham was, I am, he is telling, I'm God. This is amazing. Jesus is openly proclaiming his deity and who he is. And so when people try to contend with this fact that Jesus is God, this is a scripture we point them to. Know know these portions of scripture because people will always ask and we should always be ready to give an answer for the reason of the hope within us. But by Jesus proclaiming himself to be God, how should this affect the way that we live? Much in every way because if Jesus was not God, he could not be the atonement for our sins. If Jesus was not God, he couldn't be that perfect substitute for us. If Jesus was not God, he would never have conquered sin and death. And if Jesus was not God, then we would not be serving a living God. But this is the difference between us and everyone else in this world who does not put their faith and trust in Jesus. We serve a living God. Our God is not dead. And so if Jesus is our God, which for us as Christians he is, then that means we serve the living God and this should change everything for us as we live our lives. Because if we serve the living God, then we should be boldly proclaiming that this is the way to life. If we serve the living God, then we should go out with confidence knowing who our God is and not being ashamed of His name. And once again, so many people are trying to tone down the name of Jesus today. Why? It's the name of Jesus that we need to proclaim because He is God. He is the living God and He's the only way to salvation. But it's no coincidence that Satan many times... Today, in many cults, tries to teach that Jesus is not God. And anyone who teaches that Jesus is not God is a false teacher. And they're preaching a false gospel. Jesus is indeed God. He is who he said he is. But back in the text, the people's response, they knew exactly what Jesus was indicating. 
And if you look at our last verse, they wanted to stone Jesus. And if you remember back at the start of chapter 8, they wanted Jesus to initiate a stoning because it was illegal for them to carry out capital punishment. They're so angry now that they're willing to stone Jesus and just forget everything in the backlash they would get from the Romans. Because they knew this claim by Jesus was not just him making this you know, mild claim. He was declaring himself to be God. And people didn't want to respond to this. But we see, just like we saw many times before in this chapter, it wasn't Jesus' time yet. And so he just, I love it, he just went through the midst of them. He just walked by them. And so what an amazing, what an amazing chapter. We could spend weeks and weeks on John chapter 8. But I'll wrap up with this, and we'll continue our worship. Today we finished up chapter 8. We looked at verses 37 to the end. And we looked at what it means to live a life of God. And Jesus, he gave us an example of what a life that is not of God looks like through the religious leaders. The religious leaders did not live of God because sin occupied their hearts. The words of Christ had no place in their hearts. And they did the deeds of the devil. For us as Christians, to live of God means that we have the word of God occupying our hearts. It means we follow and serve our living God and we proclaim what Jesus has done for us. And lastly, we saw Jesus proclaimed himself to be God. And this should very much change the way that we live and affect the way that we live because we should go out with this confidence and boldness to share with this dying world around us the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because as Satan is seeking to bind so many to to the lies of uh, his lies, we need to be going out there and sharing the truth of Jesus. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, as you've heard many times if you've been joining for any amount of time, Jesus is the only way to salvation and you're not here by accident. God drew you here today because he wants you to know how to have a right relationship with God. How to, as Jesus said in verse 51, to never taste death. It's through Jesus Christ. But it's only through Jesus Christ. It's not Jesus plus something. It's not believe a little bit of Jesus and something else. It's Jesus. He alone is the only way to salvation. And for us as Christians, we should be sharing and declaring nothing less than this, that Jesus is the way to eternal life that there's life in his name. Let's pray, and then we'll continue our worship. Heavenly Father, we just praise you, Lord. You're so good to us, God. Lord, you are worthy to receive our praise. And Lord, we thank you that we serve not an ideology, Lord, not a dead God, but we serve the living God, the living Savior, the one who conquered sin and death, the one who alone has the power to save. Lord, there is none like you, none greater than you, none higher than you, none beside you. Lord, we thank you that you love us and that while we were yet sinners, again, you sent your Son to take our place on the cross. Lord, we acknowledge we need you. Lord, we're nothing apart from you. Father, give us the strength and the faith to go out and obey your commandments. Lord, if there's anything that's been in our hearts, trying to occupy our hearts that is not your word, I just pray you'd work these things out of our heart, Lord, and that you would just work in your ways, your work, your word and your will, God, into our hearts. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you are alive. Thank you that our faith in you will never die, God, that no one can take our hope. We love and praise your name, Lord. Please continue to bless this time of worship. In Jesus' name, amen.